You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. The face of terrorism today, Exxon Nation, is a Muslim one. Fear abounds that mosques are fronts for terrorist cells recruiting suicide bombers. Pastors threaten to burn the Quran. Arsonists set fire to mosques. And Muslims are victims of hatred and profiling. But what do people really know about Islam or the religious practice of Muslims? Joining me this hour is Imam Omar Hazim. He has studied, practiced, and taught and lived the Islamic faith for over 50 years. A respected leader in the heartland of America. He's going to be telling us in a very reputable manner, a very different perspective from what many believe about Islam since 9-11. Our guest this hour hopes to soften our hearts and educate minds by sharing the truth about the religion and the vast majority of those who follow it. Joining me now from the beautiful state of Kansas is Imam Omar Hazim. And uh, Imam, welcome to the Exxon. Thank you, and I appreciate the invitation to be on your show. Tell me, sir, um, as as a Muslim, a practicing Muslim today, have things gotten better since 9-11, or have things gotten worse, or is it the same as it was? Well, it, it appears that things have gotten worse uh, than they were before 9-11. 
uh, throughout the country because we can see now that there mm-hmm. are various masjids or mosques that have been uh, targets. Uh, they've been burned, and they some people go to them and try to desecrate the mm-hmm. mosque. There's more ugly publicity about Islam than it was before 9-11. So it appears that the things have gotten uh, a little out of hand and worse than they were before overall. Why do you think that is, sir? After all, it wasn't the entire, um, it wasn't everyone who is a Muslim who was involved in 9-11. It's, it, it's just a very few, a, a drop in the water. And yet it seems yeah. that everyone is being blamed. Well, I think you're right. It is like a drop in the ocean mm-hmm. compared to the amount of Muslims that there are in the world, which is one billion five hundred millions, according to many of the reports now. Uh, and on the other hand, it's not uh, all of the people mm-hmm. that's against Islam. It's just a few of them, but they're voicing their opinions loud and clear. Uh, but I think they just misunderstand the religion. Uh, they misunderstand the uh, people of the faith. And this was one of the reasons that I had uh, publicized and wrote my book called Islam in the Heartland of America, to try to uh, dispel some of those distortions about the beautiful religion itself. And in my book, it talks about how Islam is taught in a mosque. It have excerpts of sermons mm-hmm. that are actually being preached every Friday in the mosque. And so it's kind of a tool, hopefully, that will help to dispel some of the ugly ideas and the dangerous misconceptions about the religion. Imam, please stand by. You and I have to take our first two-minute commercial break. Exxon Nation, Imam Omar Hazim is our special guest. www.omarhazim.com. That's O-M-A-R-H-A-Z-I-M.com. The name of his book is Islam in the Heartland of America. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Send me your emails, exxon at xzoneradiotv.com and visit our website, www.exxoneradiotv.com. And don't forget, the world's only paranormal parapsychology newspaper, The X Chronicles, published by Relmar, xchronicles-newspaper.com. Nation, my guest this hour is Imam Omar Hazim, and uh, he is founder and the leader of the Islamic Center of Topeka, is Islamic administrator and advisor to the Kansas Department of Corrections, and was the first Muslim to give the invocation to the Kansas House of Representatives. And uh, where is, in your opinion, uh, Imam Omar, the biggest misconception when it comes to Islam and and Muslims. Well, I think generally the the biggest misconception is that sometimes people think that uh, <clears throat> we don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hear the name Allah, and they think it's some foreign entity or some foreign god. 
they often think uh, that we worship or pray to the prophet of God, who's called Muhammad. Mm-hmm. I think these are two of the biggest conceptions. And then from that, I think we go to the idea of uh, all Muslims or most Muslims or many Muslims being terrorists since the advent of 9-11. Uh, but in reality, when we say uh, Allah, then that's the Arabic uh, language that means God. And for an example, there are many Jews and Christians that are Arabic-speaking people in those uh, certain lands. And when they call on God, uh, they use, they're using their language, and they sure. say Allah is God. And this is just a difference of, of language. You know, here in and Canada, so, we have two languages. We have English and French. In English, it's God. In French, it's Dieu. So I, I, I have a problem with the, the great animosity that seems to be present just because of the way that the word is said. If the word means the same thing, whether it's, you know, whether it's an Arab, Arabic or whether it's uh, said by a member of the Muslim community, whether it's said by a Christian, whether or not it's said by a Roman Catholic in Quebec, it's all the same thing. Exactly. I agree 100%. A lot of people don't uh, have that uh, broad mentality. You know, some people think mm-hmm. that uh, this is my language, <laughs> like this like this is the only language, or this is my uh, way of thinking, and this is the only way of thinking. But I think those barriers have to be broken down and crossed, and I think that's what we're beginning to do now with communication. What is the difference, uh, Imam, between a mosque and a church? Okay, that's that's a good question, and it's not much difference other than a, a church normally is a place where people who uh, label themselves mm-hmm. as Christians go to work, worship. A mosque is a place where people who label themselves as Muslims go and they practice their religion, they pray, they uh, listen to sermons, and so a mosque is actually a place of worship in definition. And I believe that a church is also a place of worship. Mm -hmm. And in the broader sense, you don't have to be in one or the other to worship. You can worship in your home. You can worship in the park. You can uh, worship God anywhere that you are in God's creation. And once again, we can use another example. A synagogue is where those who who, uh, believe in the Jewish faith go to uh, pray. Exactly. Yes, yeah. That's right. That's what it's called a synagogue. And all, all of those are mentioned in the uh, Holy Quran as places of worship. And, and synagogue is mentioned, a church is mentioned, and also a mosque is mentioned. Imam, what is the true meaning of jihad? Well, jihad, the, the, the real definition of the word, if we take that word from the Arabic and we translate it, it means to struggle. And there, there are different uh, phases uh, of jihad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, he described jihad as the greater jihad. There's different levels of jihad, but the greatest jihad is striving uh, against one's own soul, striving for excellence within the soul itself, within the individual. That that is the greater jihad. And he said the strength is not in the one who's able to subdue the other, but the strength is in the one who uses self-restraint and self-control. Now, jihad, uh, for anyone, whether it's a Muslim, whether it's a Jewish person, or whether it's a Christian, mm-hmm. if they are striving for the best situation in their life, 
that is a that is a struggle that is a jihad whether it's for education whether it's for uh, to better the community whether it's for a better job for that individual if the striving is, is for a good cause and a righteous cause regardless of what they call themselves then it is a jihad it is a struggle what about the Quran? Um, does the Quran really teach about terrorism, or is this a misconception based on the the fears that society have uh, based on nine eleven? Well, I think those are fears that uh, the people have. the The Quran it tells us several verses, but it, one it tells us very clearly that if if anyone takes a life mm-hmm. of a innocent individual, then it's like destroying or taking the life of all of humanity. And it says if anyone aids a life, helps a life, then it's like aiding and helping all of humanity. And so this is the concept in the Quran that no one, none of us have the right to take another life because life is sacred and life is created uh, by God. And the, the the Quran gives us this beautiful story about it's fairly similar to the one in the Bible about Adam's two sons, one killed the other one mm-hmm. out of jealousy. And so that story is in the Quran, but in the Quran it tells us that these two sons had a conversation, and one of the sons said, well, if you take my life, then maybe I can't stop you. But if you take my life, then you'll also be taking on the burden of the sins that I would have committed if I had lived in this world. So when you take someone's life innocently, then you're going to take that person's sins also that they've committed, and then God may forgive them of their sins, and then that perpetrator of the crime, he's going to be carrying the burden of the sins of the people that he killed. And so this is a very heavy weight on the individual to take someone's life, uh, especially an innocent person. So this is what Quran teaches, and this idea mm-hmm. should clarify that there's no no room in religion to kill innocent people whatsoever. I understand, Imam Omar, that there are many, many similarities between Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. How come we don't hear about these similarities that mainstream media seems to only focus on the differences? Well, you know, I think we we do hear about them, but I think that the, the, the people that some of the right-wing bloggers, that, that their voices sometimes tend to be a little bit louder than the mm-hmm. moderate voices. But I think since 9-11, and in, in our area, especially in the Midwest, in the heartland of America, way before 9-11, we've been involved in going to churches, we're involved with interfaith groups, and so we're able to express and show what Islam is all about, the love, the tolerance that te- Christianity teach the respect for life that Christianity teaches. Islam teaches the same thing, uh, forgiveness, mm-hmm. uh, a good, moral, clean, conscious life, one being conscious of God, having uh, reverence for God, fearing God to certain degrees, and loving and respecting humanity. These three great religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, they are so similar because they all are revealed religions, and God revealed all of them to different messengers and different prophets throughout the century and that's why the teachings of them and when you read bible you read the Torah, and then you read the quran you will see very very many similarities 
I've often said, O Mum, O Imam, Omar, that one of the biggest problems that we have today is a lack of respect for each other's philosophies, each other's beliefs, each other's uh, religions. That's true, and, and, and tolerance or the lack thereof, uh, lack of tolerance is one thing that's caused so many problems in the world. Uh, what Islam teaches about that is that humanity was created from one soul, male and female, and that we're created in tribes and families and in diversities as a challenge. And that challenge is God tells us in the Quran that the challenge is that we should come to know one another and not despise one another. And so you've got a great deal of diversity in this world, and the idea is for you to come to know me, me to know a little bit about you. Mm -hmm. And then once we do that, then we will have more respect for one another because we're all human beings, and we all come from the same family tree. What about other countries uh, around the world who are making it rather difficult for Muslims to fulfill their own religious beliefs. For example, I believe there's one European country that has now a law that fines ladies from wearing burqas. Yeah, that, you know, that's a problem that, that we have as Muslims, especially in, the, um, in America. You know, we're trying to do everything that we can to try mm -hmm. to put the correct face on Islam. And, and we sacrifice and we, we go to places where we're invited to try to get this message out. And then we do have Muslim countries that are not adhering to the Quran itself, but they are adhering to some culture that they have. And it could be a culture of ignorance, a, a culture of misunderstanding, a culture of backwardness. But the Quran uh, and the, the life of the Prophet and the Quran itself does not teach the women how to to cover themselves that way. The woman is equal to the man, and the woman has certain freedoms, as well as the man has certain freedoms. And so we do have a, a job ahead of us to not only try to educate those in the West, but those mm -hmm. in other Muslim countries also that might have a different view of the religion. You and I, sir, have to take a news break at the bottom of the hour. Please stand by. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a great pleasure having you with us here in the Exxon. Sure, thank you. Nation, my very special guest this hour is the author of Islam in the Heartland of America. Imam Omar Hazim is his name, and his website is www.omarhazim.com. That's O-M-A-R-H-A-Z-I-M.com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue from our studios here in the Zone. Located in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 1-800-610-7035 is our worldwide toll-free number. And you're listening to us on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, Exxon TV, and our worldwide affiliates right across Canada, the United States, Central America, South America, the Pacific Rim, Asia, Africa, and Europe. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. Hi, my name is Splenza, and you're listening to my dad, Ron McConnell, on the Exxon. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell. Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Hey, lady. everyone. This is the X-Zone. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My special guest this hour is Imam Omar Hazim. His website is www.omarhazim.com and he's the author of Islam in the Heartland of America. How has the general public received your book so far, Imam Omar? So far it's been a very positive I don't know, um, I don't have a report yet mm-hmm. on how many sales that have been made, but uh, in this area and some of the other areas, I'm getting good reviews and good reports by individuals that have purchased the book, and most of them are saying that they are very pleased with the information in it and how enlightened it is, and this is from uh, Muslims, Jews, and Christians. So, so, so far, it's very, very positive. And we expect that that will continue. Well, I, you know, I congratulate you on a job well done. It, it's nice to see people opening up their minds because when they open up their minds, they also open up, open up their hearts. And one thing I, that I, one thing I find very difficult to try and understand with religion is you're taught all this goodness. You're taught about God. You're taught about all the good things in life, and yet when it comes to another religion, there seems to be boundaries. Um, how do how do we get rid of those boundaries, sir? Well, I, I think the only way for us to get rid of them, Rob, is is what we're doing now. This type of dialogue, mm-hmm. you know, radio, uh, TV, news media, uh, you know, visiting churches, community centers, 
just in the workplace, just people opening up to communicate with one another. And I think once we do that, then we, we will have a profound increased respect for what other people believe. And we'll also, we'll see that, that the goodness is shared, you know, mm -hmm. throughout the world. There's a lot of uh, people in the world that are, that are creating trouble and causing problems for Muslim Jews and Christians. I mean, you, you have, just like what Timothy McVeigh did. Yes. But we, we would certainly not say that, um, you know, all Christians are terrorists or like what the Ku Klux Klan mm -hmm. have done and is still doing in, in this country. Yeah. You know, that's a Christian group, but, but they, their belief is certainly not mainstream Christianity. And we look at what Hitler did to the Jews, who he uh, pronounced, uh, said that he was a devout Christian. But certainly that's not what Christianity teaches, and just teach that we should kill innocent people like that. But on the other hand, I think we have to recognize and realize that people that do these uh, horrible, indecent atrocities, even though they may profess to believe in that religion, we can't hold the religion responsible for that. One amazing one 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 statistic that that I came across lately uh, that that really surprised me was that the number one religion where conversion is made to in jail is to Islam. Mm -hmm. is, is there a reason for that, sir? Well, what what I would suspect is, and I and I'm working with the correctional facilities mm -hmm. uh, here in the state, and, and what I think that happens that a lot of, of people would go to jail, they may have a little more time to reflect, to think in a very sincere, deep, and honest way about faith or changing their life. Mm -hmm. uh, and they want to change it for the better. So I think when they begin to look uh, deeply at, at Islam, that, that they are very attracted to it. It could be because of the, the oneness of God. There's no conflict. There's no confusion there in their minds. It may be, be something else. It may be the brotherhood, the respect that we have for one another, and the respect that we have for other religions. So I guess each person that convert to it, you know, have to give his or her own story as, as to how they uh, or why they converted. But my feeling is that the, the sincere thought pattern in those people. And some people also convert to Christianity uh, in jail. And, and I, I've, I've seen that and I've talked to many people that have not just converted to Islam, but mm -hmm. have converted to Christianity because they begin to take stock of themselves because maybe they have done maybe something very seriously wrong, and they want to correct that, and they want to find the best way to for, to correct it, and so they start seeking for forgiveness from God. Where do you believe, uh, Imam Omar, that the the belief that Islam was spread by the sword came from? Well, I believe that um, that's an idea that certainly is not true, number one. And I can say that by Islam, it said right now, it's the fastest-growing religion in the world. Mm -hmm. It's the fastest-growing religion in America, certainly. And we don't see any swords being drawn in this country. I think way back in the time when Islam was in the 14th and 15th century, when it was spreading across Africa and Asia and some of those countries, the, the sword was a tool that, you know, many men carried, you know, just as, as a protection for themselves and whatever. But we don't see that Islam invaded countries and forced 
countries to accept Islam by the, by the sword, no more than we can say that Christianity was spread by F-16s or the atomic bombs or some of the weapons that uh, Christians have used uh, in the modern day and time to fight wars with. Certainly these weapons were used to fight wars, but not necessarily to uh, make people come to Christianity. And so I think, uh, like the Quran tells us this, it says, let there be no compulsion in religion. That's a very powerful and a strong command in Islam. It's, it's in Arabic, is la ikraha fit din, meaning let there be no compulsion, because true faith is in the heart. And you can't put a gun on somebody and make mm -hmm. them accept Christianity or, or Islam or no other religion. If they don't believe it in their heart, then it's just not there. I mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, that people convert to Islam in in jail, and and you said that Islam is the number one conversion religion in the United States today. Why do you think that is? Well, again, I, I would I would have to say in part, I think that if uh, you know, there's an old saying that there's no power on earth that can stop an idea whose mm -hmm. time has come. And, and I believe that, that in this day and time, it's time for uh, Islam to, to rise. It's time for Islam to be seen for the, the truth and the beauty that it presents to the people. And so I just believe that uh, absolutely that is just the time is right for this religion to uh, be acknowledged, uh, not only in this country, but in the world. And again, it is not going to be spread with the sword. And on the other hand, it can't be stopped by the sword, and it can't be stopped by malicious, ugly, and bad statements about the religion. And I think that some of the uh, uh, bloggers and the right-wing radio talk show hosts, I think the more that they try to um, say that Islam is a heathen religion, mm -hmm. uh, that it's a savage religion, I think that that's going to draw more people's attention to religion. I think they, people are going to say, well, I am more curious about this religion today than I was yesterday. It, it, let me ask. Let me ask you a a philosophical question here, if you don't mind. Okay. If there is only one God, why are there so many different religions? Well, I think that, uh, and the way Islam, you know, try to bring bring it is that over the period of time, mm -hmm. you know, God. Uh, feels just in, in bringing or giving messages to humanity by raising up different prophets. All of the prophets, every one of them, from Adam to Muhammad, taught the same religion. Master, we say that religion is Islam. It's not named after an uh, individual. Uh, Islam means submission to God. And so all of the prophets taught humanity to submit to God. But over periods of time, I think that Humanity have named religion, and they have named them after maybe circumstances of different people. And so it's not that God has, has given uh, one messenger or one prophet something different than what he gave the other one. You know, he gave them all the same, but I think it's people and humanity that have divided the religious ideology and put names on them. And that's where the, uh, this type of division have come in. But I think if you a person that really studies religion, like we were talking earlier about mm -hmm. the similarity, if you study Judaism, that that haven't been changed or added by men, and Christianity, what haven't been changed and added by men, and Islam, 
which haven't been changed and added by men. If you take those changes out and look at the pure word, then you're going to see this great resemblance, and you'll see that what was revealed to humanity is one and the same by all of the messengers and all of the prophets. Just the fact that there are so many followers uh, within the Muslim community, do you think that this is seen as a threat by other religions as well as citizens in the countries where the the vast number of Muslims are starting to either immigrate or convert? Well, I, I don't think they should see it as a threat because I think when, when goodness is on the rise and, and that goodness affects all people in a very positive way. I think if something ugly comes out of it, like, like what came out of 9-11, I think that if people begin to feel like this is the thing that's mm-hmm. going to take precedence in this country or somewhere else in the world because of war or because of America's foreign policy somewhere else, then the people begin to, to uh, be, show some apprehension uh, towards that. But I think when when they see that the religion is growing and it is changing people's hearts, it's changing people's minds, it's making people better human beings, then it's going to be accepted uh, even more readily because good is just something that we all benefit from. All right. Now, tell me how converting to to Islam is going to make a person a better person. Well... I think, like any other religion, I think if a person, uh, say, if a person has lived a life of sin, a life of crime, mm-hmm. a life that he or she has been certainly totally unjust to themselves or their families, and they decide to to convert to Christianity, then that's making that individual a better person if he's mm-hmm. following the teachings of Christianity. And likewise with Islam, if a person has been a horrible or bad person in his or her life, and they decide to uh, clean their life up and change for the better, and they come to Islam, then that's naturally going to make that individual a much more uh, God-conscious person. And when we, we become more God-conscious, I think this is what uh, increases the sincerity within us. It increases the moral fiber. It makes us just better individuals because our conscious level has been raised to a higher level. And that higher level is that we're reflecting more so on God, God's rules, His laws, showing more gratitude for God. We're showing more respect for mm-hmm. humanity overall, uh, whose God has created. And so in showing this type of love and respect for the Creator, then it's bound to spread to our, our neighbors also. Were you born into the Muslim belief, or are you yourself a convert? I'm a convert myself. I I accepted Islam uh, back in 1962. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I was in the, the church. Uh, my mother and father and and sisters and brothers, we all was raised up in the Baptist church. So I was a Baptist, mm-hmm. and I accepted Islam uh, at the time when around Mal- when Malcolm X was real popular, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, uh, the leader of the Nation of Islam. I accepted Islam with that uh, mentality back in early 1962. Has being a Muslim made you a better person? Oh, yes, yes, definitely. So I, it was funny that you asked that. I was just sharing with a friend of mine the other day. We went to St. Louis to do uh, book signing. Mm-hmm. And, and I was telling him that back in 1962, 
too. I wrote an article in in a paper called Muhammad Speaks Newspaper, and the title of it was that Islam have uh, saved me from the treadmill of evil. <laughs> and I wrote I wrote that article because that article because it was true. You know, as a teenager, I did quite a few things that I knew I shouldn't have mm-hmm. done, and I think it was because of me accepting Islam during that time that that really changed my life. Imam, please stand by. You and I have to take our final break. Exonation, our very special guest this hour is the author of Islam in the Heartland of America, Imam Omar Hazim, and his website is www.omarhazim.com, O-M-A-R-H-A-Z-I-M.com. And Exonation will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Exonation, my guest this hour is Imam Omar Hazim. He is the author of Islam in the Heartland of America. His website is www.omarhazim.com. Where can listeners get a copy of your book, sir? Okay, the book can be, uh, you can get the book at uh, any Barnes & Noble, Mm -hmm. uh, Books a Million, uh, Amazon.com, Borders, and most of the... uh, well-known bookstores throughout uh, America and the world. Christians, and you can go to my website, mm-hmm. and there's some links on there where you can order the book from also, as you mentioned, uh, www.omarhazim.com. Uh, Christians celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ, uh, December the 25th. We celebrate Easter, uh, the, uh, the Good Friday, the day that Christ was crucified, and then three days, uh, the Sunday... Easter Sunday, the day that he arose from the dead. What kind of religious holidays do the members of Islam celebrate? Well, we have two major holidays in Islam, and they both are called the Eid, E-I-D. One of them is after uh, we fast during Ramadan, and after that fast, see, the Quran was revealed in the month of Ramadan, the beginning of the Quran, and after we have that 29 or 30-day fast, and we have a big feast called Eid al-Fitr. And during that feast, we give gifts to the children. We give gifts to one another. We have a prayer service that morning, and we make sure we try to visit the sick. We visit the graveyard of those that have passed before us, and we have this three-day celebration. Mm-hmm. And then the other uh, holiday is about a little over two months after that, and it's called the Eid al-Ahad, which is after the uh, pilgrimage, when pilgrims go to Mecca for the yes. once-in-a-lifetime event. 
and once they return and that that uh, religious ritual is completed, then we have the the greater celebration, and we do the same thing on that. We give gifts, and certainly we try to bring the children involved, give them gifts, and we give one another gifts. We celebrate. We have feasts. We visit the sick, and we try to give to the less fortunate. And those are the two main holidays that we celebrate. Some Muslims will celebrate the birth of the Prophet Muhammad, mm-hmm. peace be upon him, but he have advised us not to celebrate his his birth. But some do it anyway, so it's not. It's, we don't say it's a sin to do anything like that. But we just think that uh, <clears throat> when they celebrate his birth, we want them to look at his uh, legacy that he left to humanity. We want Muslims to study the Quran mm-hmm. and study, you know, what the message that he brought to, to society. Imam Omar Hazim, I want to thank you very much for joining us, sir. Congratulations on a wonderful book, and thank you very much for sharing with us this past hour. Uh, thank you, sir. It's my great pleasure. Exonation, uh, Imam Omar Hazim is the founder and leader of the Islamic Center of Topeka, Islamic advisor to the Kansas Department of Corrections, and was given the and was the first Muslim to give the invocation to the House, the Kansas House of Representatives. He and his wife were recognized as ambassadors for peace by the Interreligious and International Federation for World Peace. His book, Islam in the Heartland of America, is available at fine bookstores online, offline, as well as his website at www.omarhazim.com. What a great guy! I love the way he thinks. We need peace in this world, ExoNation. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past as we continue here in the X Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Don't go away now. 